Hey everybody, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. Last week at Melbourne Heights, we started into a brand new series of sermons that we're calling No Easy Answers. And in this series, we're wrestling with the problem of pain and suffering in this world. In last week's sermon, we talked about why it's important for us to wrestle with these questions, even when there aren't any easy answers to them. And in this week's sermon, we're going to be talking about some of the bad answers that people give to the problem of pain and suffering. And then later on in the sermon, we're to listen to God and we're going to see how God responded to these questions when he was speaking with Job. So with that, let's dive right into this week's sermon. Some questions that don't have easy answers. And we didn't just start wrestling with questions that are hard for us as followers of Jesus to answer. We started wrestling with questions that are hard for all people across the globe to answer. We started wrestling with questions that people have been asking for thousands of years. Questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there pain and suffering in this world at all? Why does God allow it to happen? Where is God when it hurts? Now last week we talked about the fact that there are no easy answers to any of these questions. There are no easy answers to life's hardest questions. There aren't. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't ask these questions anyway. We should ask these questions because they're real. We should ask these questions because they are real questions. These are authentic questions. These are questions that we all ask when we're hurting, when our family members are hurting, when our friends are hurting. And these questions, they matter to us. These questions matter to us because every single one of us has had to deal with pain and suffering in our lives. Every single one of us has had to attend the funeral of someone we love. Every one of us has had to watch as a family member or a friend has suffered in a hospital bed. Every one of us has twisted an ankle, stubbed a toe, bit our tongue, gotten the flu. Every one of us has had bad things happen in our lives. So every one of us has wondered, why? Why did it happen? Why is there this pain? Why does God allow it? So to remind us all that we're not just asking abstract theological questions that are hard to answer here. To remind us that we're asking practical questions that we all wrestle with and wonder about sometimes. I ended our time together last Sunday by telling you a story. Now this is a real story about a real person who is really suffering. And this is a person who is looking for real comfort and hope in her life. Let me take just a minute to remind you of the story as Philip Yancey shares it in his book titled, Where is God When It Hurts? He writes, One day I received a frantic plea for help from my close friends John and Claudia Claxton. They were newlyweds in their early 20s, and they were just beginning their life together in the Midwest. I had watched in amazement as the experience of romantic love had utterly transformed John Claxton. Two years of engagement to Claudia had melted his cynicism and softened his hard edges. He had become an optimist, and now his letters to me were usually bubbly with enthusiasm about his young marriage. But one letter... One letter from John alarmed me as soon as I opened it up. There were errors and scratches that marred his usually neat handwriting, 
And he explained, excuse my writing, I guess it shows how I'm fumbling for words. I just don't know what to say. The Claxton's young marriage had run into a roadblock that was far bigger than both of them. Claudia had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, a cancer of the lymph glands, and she was given a 50% chance to live. Within a week, surgeons had cut her from armpit to belly, removing every visible trace of the cancer. She was left stunned and weak, lying in her hospital bed. Phil Bianzi goes on to write that Claudia had hoped that Christian visitors would come and comfort her by bringing some perspective on what she was going through in her life. Now, after I told you this story last week, I asked you to do something. I asked you to imagine that you were one of Claudia Claxton's friends, that you were one of the people who would go and visit with her in the hospital while she was battling with Hodgkin's disease. And I asked you to imagine what you would say to her. What would you say to her to bring her comfort, to bring her perspective on what she was going through? Now let me be honest with you this morning. I have no idea. I have no idea how you would respond if you found yourself in a situation like Claudia's friends. I have no idea what you would talk about if you went and you visited with her in a hospital. I have no idea what you would say to try to bring her comfort and perspective on her pain. But thanks to Philip Yancey and his book, I do know what Claudia's actual visitors had to say to her when they stopped by the hospital to see her. And they essentially told Claudia Claxton one of two things. They either told her that she was the one that was responsible for her pain and suffering, or they told her that God was the one who was responsible for her pain and suffering. Let me show you what I mean with, each of their, with, with a few of their responses. You see, one of Claudia Claxton's visitors was a deacon from her church. And this deacon, when he came in to visit with Claudia, he told her this, Surely something in your life must displease God. Somewhere along the way you've stepped out of his will because things like this don't just happen, Claudia. God uses circumstances to warn us and to punish us. So what is God trying to tell you? My first thought, as soon as I read that, was, can you believe that guy? Can you believe that this guy would walk into her hospital room and tell Claudia that she was responsible for what she was going through because somewhere along the way she had stepped outside of God's will and she was now being punished for it? But let's not stop with this deacon because another woman from her church dropped by. And this woman was a faithful follower of television faith healers. So exuding confidence, she assured Claudia that healing was her only escape from this disease. When Claudia told her about the deacon's advice, this woman nearly exploded. Sickness is never, never God's will, she exclaimed. Haven't you read the Bible? The devil stalks us like a roaring lion. But God will deliver you, Claudia. God will deliver you if you can muster up enough faith to believe that you'll be healed. Remember, Claudia... Faith can move mountains, and that includes Hodgkin's disease. Simply name your promise in faith and then claim that victory. Now, the second visitor wasn't quite as blunt as the deacon who came to visit Claudia, who flat out blamed her for her own suffering. But this woman, who believes in television faith healers, basically does the exact same thing that the deacon did. She blames Claudia for the suffering that she's enduring 
Because if Claudia had enough faith, then God would have healed her of her disease. But like I said a minute ago, blaming Claudia for her suffering is only one of the ways that her visitors responded. There were other visitors who made it clear to Claudia Claxton that God, that God was the one who was responsible for what she was going through. Like when perhaps the most spiritual woman in Claudia's church brought along with her some books and about praising God for everything that happens. Claudia, you need to come to the place where you can say, God, I love you for making me suffer like this. It's your will, and you know what's best for me. And I praise you for loving me enough to allow me to experience this. In all things, including this, I give you thanks, God. So clearly this visitor is saying that God is the one who is responsible for what Claudia is going through. But it wasn't just this woman, because another visitor, Claudia's pastor, made her feel like she was on a select mission. He said to Claudia, Claudia, you have been appointed to suffer for Christ, and he will reward you. God chose you because of your strength and your integrity, just as he chose Job and he is using you as an example to other people. Their faith is going to increase because of your response to this, Claudia. You should feel privileged. You should feel privileged about this, not bitter, because what we see as adversity, God sees as opportunity. He told Claudia to think of herself as a track star, and to view adversity as the series of hurdles that she had to clear and leap over on the way to the victory circle. Now, the way that her pastor puts it doesn't sound all of that bad, right? Kind of sounds like Claudia Claxton has been selected to be the next 007, and that she has been given a specific mission based solely on a certain set of skills that she possesses. But in the end, her pastor tells her the exact same thing that the most spiritual woman in her church had to say. He tells her, God is the one responsible for your suffering. Now, here's the thing. I don't know Claudia Claxton. I've never met anyone who went to the hospital to visit with her. But before I read any of this story, I could have told you exactly what her visitors would say. I'm not at all surprised by the answers that her visitors gave to the questions and the problems of pain and suffering because we as people of faith have been doing the exact same things that her visitors have been doing for her for as long as there has been suffering in this world. For as long as there has been suffering in this world, whenever there is suffering in this world, we have either blamed it on God or we've blamed it on the person who's suffering. For as long as there's been suffering in this world, we have either blamed that suffering on God or we have blamed the person who is suffering for it. I can even show you exactly what I mean. If you will, you can go ahead and grab your Bibles. You can turn with me to the book of Job. Now, as you're finding Job, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about this book because there's some important things we need to know. One of the first things I want you to know about Job is that many scholars actually believe that the book of Job was the first book in the Bible to actually be written down. And many scholars believe that this is one of the, that this is the first book of the Bible to ever be written down in part because of the questions that the book of Job is wrestling with. And it's wrestling with the same questions that we're wrestling with. It's asking these same tough questions about why there's pain and suffering in this world. So inside of the book of Job, we, we learn that Job is a righteous man. But the devil wants to know if Job truly loves God 
or if Job just loves God because of the stuff that God has done for Job. So the devil starts taking away all of the blessings that Job has received in his life to see if Job truly loves God or just the blessings. The devil takes away Job's possessions. Then he takes away his livelihood. He takes away his children, and he even takes away Job's own health. And just like in Claudia Claxton's story, when Job is suffering, Job has some friends that stop by to visit. And I just want to share with you some of what Job's friends say before we get into the text we'll be reading this morning. In Job chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, Job has a friend named Eliphaz. And Eliphaz says to Job, Think, what innocent person has ever perished, Job? When have those who do the right thing ever been destroyed? As I've observed it, those who plow sin and sow trouble will harvest it. So Eliphaz is blaming Job's suffering on Job. You get what you deserve. You reap what you sow. God wouldn't be punishing you if you didn't do something to be punished for. A couple of chapters later, in Job chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, another one of Job's friends, this time a guy named Bildad, speaks up. And he says to Job, If you will search eagerly for God, plead with the Almighty. If you are pure and if you will do the right thing, then surely God will become active on your behalf and he will reward your innocent dwelling. Although your former state was ordinary, your future will be extraordinary. So Bildad is telling him here that God is the one who has made Job suffer and that God will help Job with his suffering, that he will help Job grow from an ordinary state and take him to an extraordinary state. And these conversations... They just keep happening over and over again in the book of Job. In chapter 11, another friend named Zophar tells Job essentially that God will heal him if Job will just ask. In chapter 15, Eliphaz shows back up on the scene again, and he says that bad things only happen to bad people. In chapter 18, Bildad and another friend named Shua reiterate that bad people get what they deserve. So over and over again inside of the book of Job, it's either Job's fault that he's suffering, or it's God's fault that Job is suffering. But my favorite part about the book of Job, what I like the best about this book, is that Job's friends don't get the last word on the matter. God gets the last word on the matter. And the first thing that I want you to hear this morning is how God responds to Job's friends. So if you'll turn with me in the book of Job, Job chapter 42 Verse 7 is the first place I want to look. Job chapter 2, verse, Job chapter 42, verse 7. And I want you to remember what Job's friends have been saying to him. They've been blaming Job, and they've been blaming God for Job's suffering. But this is what God says to the friends. <coughs> After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, he said to Eliphaz from Teman. This is the Eliphaz, the first friend who speaks to Job. God says, I'm angry at you and your friends because you haven't spoken about me correctly as my servant Job did. Did you hear that? What does God say to Eliphaz and all of Job's other friends that came and offered him advice? I'm mad at you because you haven't said the right things about me. You're wrong. 
God says that Eliphaz and all of Job's other friends and all of the things that they had to say about why Job was enduring this pain and suffering in his life, God says to them, you are wrong about it. It's not Job's fault that he's been suffering, and it's not God's fault that Job has been suffering. So why has Job been suffering? That's really all Job ever wants to know inside of this entire book. All Job ever wants to know from the beginning of the book is why he is suffering. Why he, somebody who is righteous, someone who is right with God, is suffering. So now I want you to hear how God answers Job after Job has been asking hard, these hard questions throughout the entire book. Let's hear how God answers this in Job 38. Job 38, we're going to start reading in verse 1. And now, finally, God answered Job from the eye of a violent storm. He said, Why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Job. Get up on your feet. Stand tall. Because, Job, I have some questions for you. And I want you to give me some straight answers. Job, where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, since you seem to know so much. Who decided on the size of the earth? Certainly you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and the measurements? How was its foundation poured? Who set the cornerstone while the stars sang in chorus and the angels shouted out praises? Who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me, Job. I'm the one that wrapped the ocean in soft clouds and tucked it in safely at night. Then I made a playpen for it, a playpen so strong that the ocean couldn't run loose. And I said to it, stay here. Stay here, ocean, because this is your place and your wild tantrums are confined to it. And Job, have you ever ordered the morning, get up? Or told the dawn, get to work, so that you could seize earth like a blanket and shake out the wicked like cockroaches. As the sun brings everything to light, brings out all the colors and the shapes, the cover of darkness is snatched away from the wicked, and they're caught in that very act. Job, have you ever gotten to the true bottom of things? Have you ever explored the labyrinth caves of the deep ocean? Do you know the first thing about death? Do you have one clue regarding death's dark mysteries? And do you have any idea how large the earth is? Speak up if you do. Speak up if you have even the beginning of an answer. The book of Job continues on like this for the next couple of chapters. And believe me, the, these chapters are well worth reading. We just really don't have time to cover it during church today if you still want to go to lunch. So read Job 38 through 41 sometimes. And God just continues on this path along the way. But even in these 18 verses that we just read, you get the point that God is making to Job. It's Job is asking God all of these hard questions. God stops Job in his tracks. And he tells Job, there are so many things in this world that are beyond your understanding. Just like Job can't understand what it was like when God created the world. 
Just like Job can't understand what it was like when God told the tides that they could only rise so high. Just like Job could only could never understand why the sun rises when it does or when it sets when it does. Just like Job could never understand any of death's dark mysteries. God wants Job to realize that he can't understand the answers to the questions that he's asking. God tells Job, There is no easy answer to your hard questions. But God doesn't leave it at that. Because if God left it at that, if God just told us, there are no easy answers to your questions, Job, then we would all be left without hope. If bad things happen to good people, if the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper, if there is pain and if there is suffering in this world, and we cannot understand why that is, then we are inclined to resign ourselves to that suffering. We're inclined to resign ourselves to that suffering because we think there is absolutely nothing that we can do to change any of it. Bad things are still going to happen to good people no matter what we do. Good things are still going to happen to bad people no matter what we do. Every one of us is going to keep on suffering, so we might as well just accept our fate. That's where we would be if God left it here. But in this passage, in Job 38... God doesn't leave us without hope. Because even while God is asking Job if if Job has any idea what it was like when God created the world, God is also reminding all of us that God was the one who actually created the world. Even when God is asking Job if Job has any control whatsoever over creation, God is at the same time reminding Job that God is in control of creation. So God gives Job hope. Hope. Hope that even though, hope that even though Job cannot understand the answers to life's hardest questions, that God knows the answers. Hope. Hope that God can do something to solve the problems of the world. And after that, God After that, after God finishes responding to Job and all of his questions, this leads Job to respond back to God. And Job says this to God. He says, God, I know you can do anything. No plan of yours can be opposed successfully. You said, who is this darkening counsel without knowledge? God, I have indeed spoken about things I don't understand, wonders that are beyond my comprehension. And God, you said, listen, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will inform me. Well, God, my ears have heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I relent, and I find comfort. Job tells God that he's going to relent from asking these questions of why, because Job has found comfort in what God has told him. He has found comfort in knowing that God is God, and that God is in control, even when we not. And that's the point that we all need to be able to reach with these questions that we ask. That's the point that we all need to be able to reach. That point where we can accept. Where we can accept that we'll never have an answer to the hardest questions in life. We'll never have an answer to why bad things happen to good people. We'll never have an adequate answer to why God allows pain and suffering to begin with just won't. 
But we do have a God that is big enough to know these answers. And we have a God that is big enough to do something about it. A God that promises to eventually take away all of the pain and suffering. So if we're going to face the problem of pain and suffering in this church, we have to stop blaming ourselves and our God for pain and suffering. We have to stop blaming ourselves and we have to stop blaming God for the pain and suffering that happens in this world. And we have to accept that we are never going to find adequate answers to any of these deep questions of life because there are some things that you and I just cannot understand. Some mysteries are too big for us to solve. So instead of getting wrapped up in the same old discussions about pain and suffering that have gone on since the world began, we need to find a new way to move forward. We need to find a new way to move forward that helps us to face the pain that we experience in our lives, and we need to find a way forward that lets us help other people with the pain and suffering that they face in their lives, too. But that all starts with relenting from these questions of why and finding comfort that in spite of our questions, God is always God. God is always God, and God is always watching over us. God is always loving us. God is always caring for us. Now, next Sunday, we're going to try start trying to find our new way forward by spending our time together thinking a little bit deeper about what pain is and why we experience it. But before we get to that, let's pray together now. God, we thank you for the time that we've had together in this place and the opportunity that we have to wrestle with these hard questions of why. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there pain and suffering in this world? Why do you allow it to happen at all? These are questions that we've been asking for as long as people have walked this earth, God. But we still haven't found a good answer, an adequate answer to any of it. So God, that means we need to change our approach. We need to change our questions and accept that there are some things that we as mere mortals will never understand. But what we can understand, God, is that you have a history of watching over us, of caring for us, of loving us. So let us accept you as a God who loves us all deeply. And let us find a way forward so that we can have hope, that we can make it through and we experience pain in our lives and we can help other people do it too. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey there, it's Adam again, and thank you for listening to this week's sermon podcast. We hope that it's challenged the way that you think about the problem of pain and suffering in this world and in your life, and that it's helped you realize that there are some questions that we are just never going to have adequate answers to. In next week's sermon, we're going to dig even deeper into the idea of pain, and we're going to talk about what pain is and why we experience it. So we hope that you'll join us next Tuesday when that episode of the podcast drops. Now, before we leave, let me ask you to do a couple of quick things for me. The first thing I want you to do is to go ahead and subscribe to this podcast so that when next week's episode drops, it gets sent straight into your favorite podcasting app. 
app. And while you're in that app, go ahead and leave us a review. Your reviews mean a lot to us, and they help get the word out about this podcast to other folks. So go ahead and leave us a review to help spread the word and help other people grow in their relationship with God, too. We hope that you guys have a great week this week, and we will see you next Tuesday for another sermon podcast.